0: Welcome to the ARC Stories Podcast. ARC Stories are true, personal, and told in person at one of our ARC Stories events by the people who live them. Our podcast brings recordings of those stories straight to you for your listening enjoyment. I am your host, Story Coach Chris Kinsey. Now, we're a little late on releasing this episode, and I apologize for that. For some people, summer is a time when things slow down, but for us, it seems to have only gotten busier. At any rate, I have a couple of great stories for you today. But first, I wanted to go ahead and mention that we have some great live events happening all throughout this summer that we'd love for you to be a part of. You can find out all the info on them on our website, arcstories.com. One of those events is actually happening this Saturday night, June 27th at 7.30 p.m. at Urban Standard. And we're doing something a little different for this event. The theme for the night is going to be do-over stories from the vault. And what we're doing is we're bringing back some of our best stories from the past five years for which we've had bad recordings or that we weren't able to get recorded at all. Because, you know, now we have this podcast, we have a radio show, and we want more of our good stories to be able to share with all of you, our listeners. So I'm actually going to be telling at this event along with many of our Arclight All-Stars, if you will, and I am extremely excited about it. Well, in honor of that, I thought I'd bring you two stories from our very first event ever, but that won't be featured this Saturday. The recording for these are not very good at all, but they're wonderful stories, and I know you'll enjoy them. You just might want to use some headphones so you can have the best chance of hearing them. Now, this first event of ours was held way back in October 2010, and our theme for the night was simply scary stories. Here's our first storyteller, Aaron Yankees.
1: A 40 caliber Smith & Wesson handgun. We have six ninja throwing needles. We have nine ninja throwing stars. We have a 24 inch uh, steel machete that's two feet long. Uh, and uh, we have a Bushman survival knife with a spear conversion option. <laughs> uh, these these items do not belong to me. They belong... Oh, and I'm sorry. We also have a uh, heavy-duty slingshot with steel pellets. Um, these items don't belong to me. They belong to my husband. Uh, we do not live in a vicious, savage part of town, nor are we 12th century Japanese samurai, um, but these are all items that my husband feels that we could need at any time. Um, my husband is also, he's up there, his name's Ben, um, he's also an avid amateur bird watcher. Um, we own a Peterson's Field Guide to Birds, um, a pair of high-powered binoculars, a uh, about a 32-pound bag of birds lives in our monitor. and i um, a small but cozy bird feeder that is situated right outside of our living room window. Um, now any uh, bird watcher worth their salt will tell you that the enemy to suburban bird watching is the squirrel. Um, the squirrel will scare your birds away, will eat the bird seed, um, they're a general nuisance, and lots of tactics are employed in order to keep the squirrel away from a bird-watching area. You can grease the pole that your bird feeder is on, you can uh, use something called hot seed, I don't know what that is, and uh, uh, and also you can um, commit savage, vicious, four-hour squirrel murder, <laughs> Which is <laughs> um, it was a Sunday afternoon, and um, we had this one this this one squirrel. We've got lots of trees in our neighborhood, and so um, we had this squirrel. And, and the, ben, ben uses a lot of different things to try to, to try to scare the squirrels away. Since it's right outside of our living room, there's lots of banging on the window, lots of profanity, lots of shouting. <laughs> uh, he would sometimes um, force me to stand at the window and peek out go, and he could run out at the squirrel, like waving its arms and screaming. And this would work for a time, but the squirrel, I think, enjoyed watching Ben do that, and sort of pissing him off, um, and, uh, and really liked the free food. So it was like 3 o'clock on a, on a Sunday afternoon, and we were just enjoying ourselves. And um, we heard the telltale signs of the squirrel sort of scratching at the at the heater. So, Ben used his regular, you know, tactics, screaming profanity and banging on the window and nothing was working. This guy was super persistent and um, he was really enjoying himself and so um, after about 20 minutes, Ben had had enough of that damn squirrel and decided he was going to take matters into his own (laughs) hands. So, he decides he's going to utilize his cache of weaponry. So there's a lot of discussion about which weapon he's going to use. And he chooses the um, the slingshot with the steel ball pellets. Now, he's used this before. He feels really confident in his skill with the slingshot. He feels like he's only going to be you know, shooting from four feet away. Easy. He's just going to scare it. Not going to kill it. Just scare it. <laughs> no big deal. So he places. he takes one pellet and he goes outside. He comes back in. Two seconds later, it takes another pellet. And this goes on for twenty minutes, and he's just coming back at him like seriously. It's you're trying to scare it. Like, I can't scare it. I, I can't get it to, to, to scare. It. So finally, he, he he shoots and he hits the squirrel. Just sort of just sort of nicks him. The squirrel runs off, and and then feels feels good about that. Okay, all right, problem solved. No big deal. About five minutes. Ben has had enough at this point. There's much more profanity than previously. And so <laughs> he goes out there, and this is, this is it with him. He takes that slingshot and he rears back, and he lets go, and he, he comes back in, and he's sort of shaky. And his eyes are sort of big, and he's a little gray. Says, did you get it? I I, I, think, I, did, I think I did something. Yeah. <laughs> what did you do? shot in I he goes in and he, he, he you know, girds his loins for battle and um, I, I hear, I don't want to watch, so I hear, you know, much, uh, a great deal more profanity now, it's much louder and uh, there's some guttural screaming, some higher punch screaming, some hacking noises, and he comes back and he's sweating and he's breathing hard and he said, it's totally dead. <laughs> we go, we're still sort of telling them, we're laughing about it, Feels still sort of bad, but what can you do?
0: Aaron is a producer and author, as well as one of our other story coaches for ARC Stories. You can keep up with her on Twitter at Aaron H. Moon. In fact, Aaron will actually be telling another of her stories on the latest episode of our ARC Stories radio show. That show airs today, Thursday, June 25th at 2 p.m. and 7 p.m. on 90.3 WBHM here in Birmingham, or we'll be streaming from their website, wbhm.org. This next story is actually from our co-founder and director. It's the first story he ever told, obviously, but remains one of my absolute favorites. Here's storyteller Taylor Robinson.
2: Okay. When I was in high school, my junior year in high school, I did the stupidest thing I've ever done. In one day, I did the stupidest thing I've ever done, and I witnessed two miracles. Um, Spring break, it was a Thursday of spring break, and my two best friends, Michael and Chuck, are we've decided we've got a day to burn and uh, let's find something to do. So we decide today we're going to pop from the firecrackers we have left over from last summer. And um, something else you need to know is I grew up in the, in the panhandle of Texas where the land is very, very flat and the wind blows very, very hard. Especially in March. An even bigger part of the story is this, this March was the ninth month of the worst drought that had happened in the panhandle of Texas since I was born. So you get all the elements. Horrible drought, <laughs> very windy day. <coughs> Me and my friends, gonna go pop fire. Right? So, my friend Chuck, he lives on the outskirts of town, um, and we decided we're gonna to go to Chuck's Creek House. And the Creek House is just this little house. that's down by the creek. It's about a quarter of a mile. It's a, about a quarter of a mile of pasture that his family owns to his house. Um, this Creek House is called Creek House, which is a creek that runs by it, but this particular year, dead. No water, because it's a drought. So, we're out there. It's a very windy day. And we're popping firecrackers, you know, Bob Rocket here, Roman candle here, this, that, blah, blah, blah. And it's so windy that we're having a hard time, as you can imagine, getting the firecrackers lit. And so we developed this this system for getting the firecrackers lit, where I would squat down around the pickup truck, the back tire of the pickup truck, and kind of make myself as big as I could, and chuck the shoulder up to me here, and the shoulder up to the truck, and then my shoulder up here, and we just kind of make this hole where we could knock down as much wind as we could and we'd light the firecrackers and we're popping, you know, a roll of black cats here, this smoke on there, and then pull out of the uh, bag a flasher. Now if you know anything about firecrackers, you know that a flasher is literally a white hot open flame, a white hot series of open flames. <laughs> like this, very bright, very hot. Yeah, you know, it's kinda of windy, kinda of dry, maybe we should Michael, give us the Powerade bottle. We're gonna put it in the Powerade bottle, and everything will be fine. Great, great. So I'm holding the Powerade bottle. Chuck's holding the firecracker, um, and Chuck's got the firecracker, you know, right above the lid of the fire. You've all done this with Coke can, and we're lighting, and we're sitting there. It takes forever, and I think in my head, God, this, you know, there's no payoff to this. We sit here forever trying to light these firecrackers, and then it lasts for five seconds, one second for the little one. This is stupid. Why don't we take this so much for high school days? We're not junior high days anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I have this thought, and about the that thought finishes, there it goes, the fuse is lit, drops it into the thing. I turn around, though, firecracker, power, the Powerade power, power, bottle lands, you know, 10, 15 feet away. I out there in the middle of the sidewalk and the three of us sit there and watch. And by the second flash, and this goes on for 15 seconds, by the second flash, the Powerade power, bottle, gone. No, just melted. Gone, laying on the ground. And so this open flame, hot open flame, and it catches the grass on fire, you know, and we wait for it to end, and then all three of us of over there, you know, to stomp out this little grass fire that was about this big and we started running over there. By the time we get to the grass fire, remember it's windy, forty mile an hour winds on in the 20, in Chortin Alley. We get over there, we start, you know, it's doing the same kind of it out. By the time we get there, I mean it's big. It's this thing, and we we're we not going to get this thing out with our feet. So, Chuck, quick, Chuck runs into the creek house, he's going to get a bucket of the water. Um, and Chuck runs off, we're like, okay, cool, Mike, I'm going to sit here and talk to get back with the water. I don't really think about anything. And then this thing takes off, just with the wind. And this fire is walking one foot a second, just, and it's just moving, moving, moving. And I have this vivid memory. There are a lot of vivid memories that I have of this. But the first one is, I hear the screen door slam to the, to the creek house, and I turn around, and I see, like in slow motion, I see Chuck come around the corner with a pipe down bucket of water. It's got maybe a gallon of water in it. And he stops, I and mean, he comes around the corner, and he just stops, freezes, and his mouth dr- drops open. I'm all ready. Oh, we're dead. <laughs> Michael's standing right here. And I turn around to realize that this fire has reached the creek, it is starting to cross what is the riverbed a dry riverbed now they tried to they manicured the land out there so they mowed it but around the creek it's kind of gilly, so they didn't and there are these things around the creek that are like eight foot tall um, cattails. And if you know anything about cattails a boy scout or girl scout or any outdoors thing the first thing they teach you about cattails is the little thing at the top is the perfect thing to use you killing in a fire, so, so it gives you an idea of what we're talking. we're talking about. Eight foot tall forest of dry dead weeds, and this fire gets into that, and it goes 20 feet tall, and the stalks start exploding, and they, the pressure gets, and they explode, and it sounds like shotguns going off. And I hear Chuck, and we're all sitting there watching this thing, just cr- just this mountain of fire cross the creek, and Chuck screams, "I'm gonna go call fire department." We turn around, Chuck. Says, He drives off to the house, and the house is over there, Chuck's driving on this road that goes all the way back. And Chuck leaves, and Michael and I realize at this moment, holy crap, we're dead. We're going to in so much trouble. And then Michael, that's what we're thinking about, and then Michael says, "It's, it's headed towards the house, Chuck's house, which is a quarter of a mile away. And so that was our cue. Let's get to the house. So we start running to the house. And so this road goes like this and it kind of curves and it goes back around so mike and i running up the up this hill to get to chuck's house where chuck is going to call the fire department and we're running as hard as we can and i second vivid memory is i remember running like this and looking to the right and seeing no lie 15 20 foot tall fire going as fast as we are towards the house and I'm I'm terrified. I don't know what to do. It's probably fifty feet away from us, and I'm running as fast as I can towards the house. And it's so windy that the wind is laying the smoke down on the ground. It's not like you know smoke that goes like this. It's just laying the smoke down, and we can't see the house because there's just a wall of smoke in between us and the house. We're running, 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 Chuck is on his way back to pick us up and he comes barreling out of the smoke because the road dives through the through the smoke and he almost hits this he slams up, he almost dies, nobody
0: can get back to the
2: to the house, get it, and we, we all meet up in the in the garage where Chuck's mother is. And she's obviously visibly upset. She knows we started a fire, she's seen out the back door that there's a fire in towards the house. they call the fire department and we're like, okay, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? And you know in movies, whenever they're going to they go get the bad guys, and they've got this closet full of guns, and they just start handing guns to people, and people go and leave. So Chuck grabs these rakes and hoes and shovels and stuff like that <laughs> and just hand them to us. Because, you know, if you know anything about fast Stars, you know that you pour, put dirt on a fire, then that puts the fire out. And so we think, great, let's take these, go so fight the fire, save the house. Ah <laughs> We know that! We're out movie and so, the garage is on the lee of the house which means the smoke is is coming over the, and wrapping around the house and we're looking out and the, the fire is behind us so we run out and you know kind of might this way and, and chuck those this way and we're going to save the house and we fight the fire for you know a while and it's in this moment when i realize okay, there's not a lot of fuel here for the fire it's just a bunch of little short grass once we get up into the yard and so it's little stripes of fire it's not like this big yard full of fire it's just a little stripe of fire and once it burns a spot Goes it's black and it's not burning anymore so it's just these little stripes. And um, we're out there fighting, you know, I have this, feeling you know, okay, great. And the fire's kind of taking this stripe because the wind has just pushed it, striped it all the way across the backyard. And, um, you know, putting it out, get this and that. And then um, I think, okay, we got this. We This is cool. We'll just have this under control, no big deal. Fire trucks, can you get here? No big deal. Um, and if you've ever been in West Texas, we've felt the cold front come in where it's windy and Tornado season and stuff, there's just this feeling that comes through the air when a big cold front comes through where it's not that windy and then whoosh, you feel it and the wind is a completely different temperature. And wind comes from the backyard and it changes directions. It's coming from over here and it changes directions and it starts coming this way and it's hot and it's smoky. And I'm thinking, okay, that doesn't feel right. And you can't see anything because it's real smoky. So Michael grabs me and he says, hey man, listen, the wind changes, it's coming towards the house, we gotta get out of here, we're gonna die, we don't wanna die in here, uh, yeah. Great, yeah, let's go, back to the garage, we start running. And to give you an idea of just how smoky it was, I run full speed into the trampoline, like, stomach. <laughs> <laughs> Michael picks me up, and we run, get into the house, and um, we're thinking, you know, run back to the house thinking, yeah, I hope Chuck's okay, you know, whatever. We get back, <laughs> we get back to the garage, and Chuck's standing there with his mom, and I, we're fighting fire to save the
1: And
2: so we're sitting there, you know, uh, what are we going to do? The house is about to burn the house down. And at that moment, that we hear the fire trucks. And the fire trucks pull into the backyard, uh, pull into the driveway, and you hear it. We're sitting in the garage, and we just watch the fire trucks pull past, past the garage. And literally, this big, enormous fire truck parks itself in between the house and the fire and just starts doing all this stuff. Now, they got the fire under control in Chuck's backyard. Um, But it was at this moment that the fire was out of control and it started moving in all different directions. And there's tons of details that go into this, but I'll skip to the end. Um, 250 acres of West Texas land, a barn, a boat, a fence, a cow, and um, this lady had a rabbit. I think she had like a rabbit pond, something like <laughs> Whatever. It crossed a little It crossed a two-lane highway, and it got up to within 10 feet of at least 30 homes that are on the outskirts of this town. Now, so we, we stay in Chuck's house. He's got this big panorama like a ranch. Panorama living room where there's windows all over the place and you can see forever. And on this particular night, the sun has gone down and we're waiting around and you can literally see burning embers, golden, glowing uh, fence posts for as far as you can see. Um, we wait there and, you know, what are, what are we going How do you respond? What do you do? Really worried about it, and um, the, the the cops come and they start talking to us. And great for us, the cops really weren't that worried about it. You know, it's kind of what happened. Yeah, okay, you idiots, don't do that. And they leave. No big deal. We're okay. And now all the three of us have on our mind is the fact that Chuck has called our Chuck's mother has called our parents, and um, that means my dad. Is coming to this house <laughs> uh, the three of us are football players and my dad is the quintessential Texas football high school Texas high school football coach six-four it's he's he's big He's overweight he's got a red face from this blood oh,
1: that he takes <laughs> <laughs> he's, got, he's, got, he's
2: got little blue beady eyes he's got a horrible temper he's a lineman coach Chuck, Michael's a lineman Chuck's a safety, and like, my dad is the joke of all the, in like, because everyone's afraid of him. You know this guy. That's my dad. Oh, my God. Michael's mother and father are on their way, and my parents are on the way, because Chuck's mom wants to talk him about what the police said about insurance, or whatever. Who cares? My dad's on
1: the way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh,
2: we're all kind of sitting around, we're alone for a moment, and like, oh, gosh, what your dad going to do. It's so bad. He killed us. Blah, oh. blah, blah, blah. Um, Michael's parents show up and his mom is just a, like, just a Tasmanian everybody <laughs> And we're just sitting there. And nobody cares what Michael's mom is saying. Obviously, my dad is coming. And so, um, they have this big so a big panorama room, right, where uh, you can see this big circle drive that, that runs in front of the house. And, boom, this car pulls up in the circle drive and that's and they pull around. Mom's on the passenger side, so I see Mom, and we're standing in this well-lit room in front of the house, and they're well-lit out there in the driveway, but I don't see my dad, and, um, and they pull around, and Mom is just sitting, and she's worried. Obviously, she's worried. She has to be worried. Um, She's just driven through the wreckage of this fire. <laughs> if my father's not looking at me, that means he's looking that way, and he can see all of this that I can see. And so, you know, it felt like an eternity from when they come to park, they put it in park, and um, there's this moment where the dome light comes on in the car. and means the doors are opening up, and my dad literally, he steps out of the car and he stands up. And so he's a big guy. I got this little, you know, sissy Saturn SUV, whatever. And I see his head and I'm looking right at him, chucking my are right here. And uh, my dad turns and he looks at me, we it's like he knew exactly where I was, we make eye contact, and I'm just and um he sits for a couple for a couple of seconds he sits there and he looks at me, and he gets this big fat grin on his face. Like you're an idiot, you know, like <laughs> The space. And it was in that moment Michael and Chuck both go, Oh man, he's not mad. He's not mad. He comes in and walks in and nothing. Glad you guys are okay. Um, I think you've already learned your lesson. Kind of that kind of thing. And um, so at the beginning of the story, I it's I, I there are people in this room who know my dad and they know how unbelievably unbelievable it is that he wasn't mad. So I said at the beginning of the story, two miracles, and the stupidest thing, obviously the fire was the stupidest thing, the first miracle is number one, nobody died, no houses burned, and whatnot. And number two, I didn't get killed by my phone. <laughs>
0: in addition to being the director of art stories taylor is a writer and director and owner of six foot five productions he's on twitter at taylor robinson and that's our episode i've been your host chris kinsley and you can find me on twitter at chris kinsley again you've been listening to the art stories podcast this podcast is produced by taylor robinson and myself francesco de andrea composed our theme Special thanks to Eric Chapman from Symmetric Sound for audio expertise. Again, don't miss our next radio show today at 2 p.m. and 7 p.m. on 90.3 WBHM in Birmingham. And if you live outside Birmingham, you can still listen in at WBHM.org, where it will also be streaming even after those times. We also have more events coming up this summer that we'd love to see you at. You can find more information about them on our website, arcstories.com. There you can listen to other stories. You can stay up to date with everything we have going on and even submit your own story. After all, we're always asking, what's your story?